Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 will be found on page 467, if you have one of the church Bibles that we hand out on your way in, 467. If you have your own Bible, not familiar so much with where everything is yet, the book of Psalms is kind of right dead in the middle. So if you just kind of flip it open to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. There are 150 Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 95. So if you kind of flip through, you can find Psalm 95. This then is what Holy Scripture says. O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Well, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the days at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have your Bibles still open there, uh, please do keep them open. And uh, you may also want to turn to the book of Hebrews if you need a moment to find that, but you're going to want to stay in Psalm 95 as well. And as you do that, let me pray that the Lord will bless our time together in His Word. Let's pray together. So, Father, as we consider you and what you have to speak to us today, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, remove from us that um, kind of arrogance and uh, pride that wants to resist hearing your word, humble our hearts to be good listeners, and to test all that we hear against what you have revealed in your book. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is summertime, and to the ears of a busy Canadian, getting a little bit of rest can sound like a fantastic idea. Even those, who, uh, those of us who kind of lean toward laziness in our daily lives, I don't think any of us are opposed to getting something like an extra week's vacation. 
It's kind of like metal toward a magnet. It seems like there is something in us that is kind of invisibly pulled to find rest, to find relaxation, to find peaceful enjoyment. That's certainly what all the travel sites promise, don't they? Peaceful enjoyment. I wonder if there's something to that. I wonder, like so many things in life, we're, we're looking, searching for a good thing, but we're looking in all the wrong places and at all the wrong solutions. I wonder if we were built for rest. I wonder if all that hectic commuting and child rearing and homeschooling or getting to school or series binging or grocery shopping or education achieving or just busyness, I wonder if all of that is in some way keeping us from the peaceful enjoyment that is right before our eyes. I want you to come with me on a little journey. We'll start actually in Genesis. I said Psalm 95, and then I said Hebrews, and now I'm saying Genesis. We're kind of we're going from front to back a little bit because I want us to think about what true rest is, who rested first, and what rest is available to us now. And we're going to start that journey actually in the book of Genesis. So forget what I said about Hebrews. Just go to Genesis, first book in your Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about the six days of creation, and then we're going into Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, which says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, I want you just to keep that open and pay attention to three words, all right? little vocabulary here. Three words. Number one is the word work. Work here means not the action of doing something, but rather the finished result, the, the, the thing that has been done, the thing that has been made. We talk about a work of art. It's completed. It's, it's done. So the Lord finished His work uh, as in the creation. <laughs> he made everything. So the work here is not referring so much to the effort or the labor, but to the object that has been made, the work, the work of creation is done. God made a work. He created the universe. It's quite a work. And that is affirmed to us by the second word. That's the word finished. Finished. And now to to finish something simply means to complete a task. To be finished, to be done, to complete a task. Uh, Solomon used this word in 1 Kings chapter 6. In the 11th year, in the month of Buol, which is the eighth month, the house, which is the temple, was finished, same word, in all its parts, according to all its specifications, he was seven years in building it. So God finishes the universe on the seventh day. Solomon finishes his temple in the seventh year. Both got to the end of their efforts and could say, here is a work, this work is finished. And that leads us to the last word that I want you to think about. That's the word rest. 
It occurs two times. Look at verse 2. He, he rested on the seventh day from all his work. And then verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Now, when I hear the English word rest, I think about the hammock in my backyard. Or I think about a night off with no meetings, or I think about uh, Sunday afternoon naps, whatever it is. I kind of think, when I hear rest, that's what I think of. But that's, that's not what this word translated rest means. Shabbat means stop. It means to cease an activity. So on the seventh day, God ceased from all of His work because it was done. God uses the same word, Shabbat, uh, to describe the moment he stopped sending manna to feed the children of Israel. Joshua 5.12, the manna ceased, it Shabbathed, it Sabbathed. The manna stopped the day after they ate produce of the new land, the promised land. So, you got these three words. And if we carry the meaning of these words into the same paragraph, it might sound something like this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God completed His creation that He had made, and He ceased on the seventh day from all His creation that He had created. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God ceased from all His creation that He had created in creation. Now, that does not read as smoothly as your English Standard Version, but it helps to get across, I think, the intention of the meaning of the words. This paragraph is not teaching you that after He had made all things, God sat down like a satisfied watchmaker to let creation tick its way to its finish line, as if God were some kind of casual bystander eager to see what might happen. Nor does it mean that after creating for six days, God was really spent and tired and He needed to catch a nap on the seventh day. He is omnipotent, which means he doesn't ever get tired or weary. It's not like the universe maker had to sit back on his supernal sofa and catch a few winks after all the busyness of six days of creating. What it means is he ceased, he stopped that work of creating. That's all that's said. The particular work of God was complete. And that becomes an important thing to understand when you read the rest of your Bible because God didn't stop working on the seventh day. For instance, there's this moment when Jesus is getting verbally accosted by the religious leaders of the day for healing a paralyzed man on a Sabbath, a Sabbath day. And when he's countering their argument, he says to them, John 5, 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, I'll come back to this verse in a couple of minutes, but what I want you to see right here is that even though God stopped or ceased His work of creating on the seventh day, He was still at work. My Father is working, and I am working, Jesus says. So, Genesis chapter 2 just makes clear to us that God ceased from a certain and specific work. God entered a Sabbath from His creative work on the seventh day. And what I find very interesting here is that Genesis chapter 2 also seems to be teaching that God stays in that seventh day, not as a 24-hour period 
because th- there's something about this day that it seems like it's never over. Why do I think that? I think that because of an interrupted pattern. If, if, you, if you're open there to Genesis 2, just go up to the end of Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, look at this phrase, there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, we've seen that before. If, you know, if you're familiar with Genesis 1, you saw it at the end of day 1. There was evening, there was morning the first day. You saw it at the end of day 4. There was evening, there was morning the fourth day. You see it in all the days. When the day comes to an end, there was evening, there was morning the sixth day. But look at the seventh day and look at how it ends. It breaks that pattern. Genesis 2 verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And there it stops. There's no repeated phrase here. Evening, morning, the seventh day. That does not appear. And at the very least, that implies that the seventh day is not over. That after he made all things, God decided, and this part's on the quiz, kids, so you're going to want to catch this part. On the seventh day, God decided that he is going to exist in this state of, I'll call it seventh day Shabbat. Not a 24-hour period of time, but something different. He's remaining in a state of having ceased from the work of creation, and now he stays in this seventh-day Shabbat. That is a state from which uh, he is prepared to relate to the people that he has made. Why did God make all things? You know the catechism. He made all things for His own glory. But what's another reason God made all things? He made the universe so you would have a place to exist. (laughs) It's for us to live in. And the divine intention was that humankind would live on the earth in a kind of pure and unfiltered communion with Him. We would be the friends of God, as it were. And again, that seems to be what's pretty clearly implied by this somewhat casual reference in Genesis chapter 3 about God walking around the Garden of Eden. Now, Genesis 3, this is taking place after sin comes in, right? So, but there's this reference here that that Moses makes, I think it's Moses who wrote Genesis, and he, he says this, that there's this seemingly personal fellowship between God and humankind, that's what was happening before sin came in. God fellowshiped with His people, the people that He had made. At the very least, they knew what it sounded like when God came for an evening stroll in the garden. So Genesis chapter 3, just go into the next chapter there, verse 8, they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, just think about that. That sound was distinct to their ears from an approaching elephant or zebra or dog. Like, there's a sound. They, they knew what that sound was. It was familiar to them, which seems to imply that they had heard it before, which seems to imply that this was a regular occurrence, that God came to them and fellowshiped with them. Now, if I've got all of that right, that means this seventh-day Shabbat of God is a way of describing how God intended to fellowship with those who were in relationship with Him. I make in six days, and now there's this extended period of time in which I will fellowship with my people. I'm going to state it really crassly, and, but don't, like, don't overthink it. 
you could put it this way, God stopped working so he could hang out with us. Humankind was created to exist in a perpetual seventh-day Shabbat of fellowship with God. All right, you with me? Number two, we're born into a state of unrest. This is our problem. I mentioned sin, right? And sin came in and it interrupted all of this. It interrupted it badly. The creation itself turned against humankind. Men and women turned against one another. And worst of all, God turned against us. The garden fellowship of him walking and fellowshipping with his people, that's over. Fellowship with God is over. Friendship with God is over. But if you have read your Bible before, then you will know that this word Sabbath comes up a few times not just in Genesis chapter 2. Let me show you just three places. There's more than three. I'll just take you to three. The first one, uh, you can turn to Exodus 20. Uh, There's this time when God acts to save the descendants of Abraham out of their slavery in Egypt. And after he saves them, since he is the great benefactor who's rescued them, he writes the terms of the covenant that they are now going to be existing in with God. And point number four of those terms or conditions or, if you like, commandments, there's ten of them, point number four is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh, your God. So you came out of a nation that had other gods. Your God's name is Yahweh. He's your God. They're false gods. He's the real God. So this is a Sabbath to someone. It's a Sabbath to Yahweh, your God. On it, on that particular weekly occurrence, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, which means even if it's the best day to harvest your field, you don't do it because that day is devoted to Yahweh. Why? Verse 11, for in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here's God saying, you're going to be my people now, and here's one of the markers of the covenant that we're going to be in. You're going to keep a Sabbath. Set aside the seventh day of each week by stopping, Sabbathing, ceasing all your normal work and reminding yourselves of me, your creator, right? Verse 11, in six days the Lord God made, he created the heaven and the earth. Again, it's not a nap, it's not a command to take a nap on a Saturday, but it's a command to stop your normal activities and think about God. In particular, you're to think about God as your creator. Keep that in your mind. Because when God lays out the Ten Commandments the second time in the book of Deuteronomy, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Some of you are thinking, I'm so glad my Bible's on a phone app. It's like finding books. And you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, this is kind of at the end of Moses' life, and he's giving the law a second time. He's reaffirming them, but, and he's giving the commandments a second time. 
In Exodus, he says, set aside the seventh day because God, your creator, rested on the seventh day. In Deuteronomy, he says, set aside the seventh day because God, your savior, rescued you out of slavery. Not on the seventh day, just that fact. He rescued you out of slavery. So, you got all the same commands. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Drop down to verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh, your God, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, God actually gives two reasons. Stop your normal activities on the seventh day of each week because, number one, I'm your maker, and because, number two, I am your Savior. So when it comes to Israel's Sabbath, the nation of Israel, that's what we're talking about here. When it comes to Israel's Sabbath, they are commemorating both creation and salvation. They're commemorating the God who created all things and the God who saved them out of their slavery. So, one way to think about this is to say, when God saves a person, He is inviting them back into that ongoing Shabbat, seventh-day Sabbath, or into fellowship with Him, if you like. The calendar expectation that God put on the nation of Israel is meant to serve as a spiritual expectation, a reminder, a weekly reminder, reminding them of what? I made you. I made you for, to enter into ongoing fellowship with me, and you rebelled against me. So, I also saved you. I saved you so that you might have ongoing fellowship with me. Now, walk with me and do what I created you to do. And that's clarified even more when we get to the promised land. So, they're about, the nation of Israel has been taken out of slavery, and they're about to enter into the promised land, but they're not going to enter that land because they do not trust in Yahweh. They do not do the things that Yahweh told them to do as those who say they are following Him. I want you to think about that. They said they would follow Him. But the very things he's telling them to do, they're not doing. And so God says to them, I am prohibiting you from entering the land of Sabbath, the land of rest. That's what he calls it. He calls the promised land the land of rest. David describes this poetically in Psalm 95. We read that earlier in our service. Verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said there are people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 40 years. Why? Because that was the punishment. You didn't trust in me. You didn't believe in me. You were disobedient in your heart. You're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness before I take you into the land of rest. David writes it poetically and says, puts words into the mouth of God, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Not my land, my rest. So now, entering God's rest is a way of describing entering the promised land, the land of milk and honey, right? The land of blessing and prosperity and safety, the place of what? The place of ongoing fellowship with Yahweh, with God. It's still a place, it's a place where there's still a lot to do. You got you to farm and you got to have families and you got to worship God in the particular ways that He has prescribed. 
But he calls it the land of rest. Or more importantly, it, it was where God's saved people were going. They were entering into his land of seventh-day Shabbat. But not fully. Because that geographical space was full of problems, failures. And God's saved people were not very faithful, nor very good at doing all that he expected them to do. And here's where I want to jump back into that story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man on the Jewish Sabbath. Remember, what was Jesus' defense for doing on a day set aside for stopping? My father is working until now, and I am working. Why does he say that? Even though God remains, stays in this state of having Shabbat, having finished his creation work, what the, that does not mean he stopped all his work. He has other work. Creation is done, so no need to continue that work. He has Sabbathed from that work. But the salvation of sinners? Oh, that's another matter. That's going to take some work. Which is why Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What was that work? Ultimately, it was to give himself up as the innocent sacrifice for sinners. He speaks of his cross work as, as like it was already done when he prays so that we could overhear his prayer in John chapter 17. He says to the Father, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he speaks of his cross work as actually done right before he dies when he says, it is what? Finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, we heard that word back in Genesis chapter 2, didn't we? It is completed, Jesus says. I can cease now. The work is done. Because God finished his creating, he ceased from that work. Because Christ finished his atoning, he ceased from that work. And this finished work of Jesus ushers him into what we might call a new Sabbath, a new seventh day, or perhaps we might say it opens our eyes to what the true seventh day Shabbat is. Let's just summarize all of that. God Shabbat from his creative work. He remains in this seventh-day state, ready to fellowship with his people. Mankind rebels. Mankind forfeits access to God. God previews what he's going to do through his son by rescuing one people group, the nation of Israel, out of slavery. And he invites those people into his land of Shabbat. In other words, he invites them into fellowship with him. And they get it sometimes and they fail other times. So God does that final work. He sends his own son. What does the son say of himself? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the son's work is to die in the place of sinners so that all sinners who put their faith in Jesus, that is, trust that he is God and that what he did to save them was enough, all these sinners will enter into God's rest. To do what? Sit around on a puffy cloud? <laughs> no, to get about their father's business in the world. 
operating out of Christ's finished work by the enabling empowerment of the Holy Spirit while standing in the joy of the Father's Shabbat. And that takes us to our very last text, which I think will pull all of this together and hopefully will send you singing out the door. So that's number three, hurry up and rest. This is where we go to Hebrews. Uh, the, the letter of the Hebrews is called Hebrews because um, people of, descendants of Abraham, Jewish people called Hebrews. And so the title of the book is Hebrews because it was written in the New Testament to Hebrew people, which means they had an understanding of all that I just gave you. They, they got that. You get to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me walk you through the argument that he makes just really quickly. Hebrews chapter 3 will begin in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now stop right there. (laughs) Not said, says, present tense. That's very important. The Holy Spirit says. Now, the author to the Hebrews writes, as the Holy Spirit says, right before he quotes from Psalm 95 that we read earlier. (laughs) Right before, and and Psalm 95, that's David talking about an ancient event in Israel's history that happened of hundreds of years earlier. So you have the event of the Exodus and, you know, not getting into the promised land. Then you got David writing about it. And now you got the author to Hebrews saying, the Holy Spirit says... That means that the Holy Spirit is actually in real time, right now, saying or speaking through His written Word. That's true for us as much as it was true for the first audience of that book. God the Holy Spirit is speaking. This is what He is saying. So therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, here comes the quote from Psalm 95, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So we find ourselves there back in Psalm 95. That's what the author's quoting. And this, this author is looking us dead in the eye, and he says, the Holy Spirit is today warning you. People who say, I'm a Christian. I am saved. So, just a little pause here. The whole book of Hebrews is a letter that is written to warn people who are claiming to be Christians but aren't living faithfully. And the warning is, you may not be a Christian. That's the warning. So, whenever we read the book of Hebrews, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, am I, am I truly saved? Show me if I'm not. Reveal this to me in your word. He continues, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what's he doing? He's he's teeing off that word today that he quoted from Psalm 95, and he looks at you and he says, are you holding fast your original profession of faith in Jesus today? More than that, he's telling all of us to keep exhorting each other to do that because sin is a cheater. Sin is deceptive. It always lies. It always tries to trick you. It doesn't matter who you are. You get deceived by sin. That's why you, there are, you cannot survive as a solo Christian. You won't make it. You need other people in your life to be exhorting you and encouraging you. That's what he's saying. So he, he looks back at the psalm, verse 15, as it is said in Psalm 95, today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's a great tragedy. Somebody can go along for years and years acting like they love Jesus. They can write books about Jesus. They can preach sermons about Jesus. But what matters is not yesterday. What matters is today. If you're hardening your heart today, beware of tomorrow. You will not impress God with your history What impresses God is faith, a living faith. I mean, there were thousands of people who witnessed God perform the 10 plagues in Israel and then witnessed the superpower of the day, Egypt, getting swallowed up in the Red Sea, who witnessed God providing manna and witnessed God providing water, who witnessed God on the mount... on the mountain coming down with fire and thunder and heard the actual voice of God speaking and those same people looked at him a few days later and said, you know what, I don't believe. And they died for it, verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he, God, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Therefore, since people that professed faith in God and had an opportunity to enter God's seventh-day land of rest can be rejected because of their unbelief, then we had better take stock because that means just as those people fell short, we might fall short. Fall short of what? Look at verse 1 again. Fall short of entering his rest, his Shabbat. Therefore, while the promise of entering his Sabbath still stands, let us fear lest any one of you should seem to have failed to enter to reach it. This means that God's rest is still ongoing. God's rest is still available. There is a a way to enter into fellowship with God, to enter into this ongoing seventh-day Shabbat of God. What is that way? You have to respond to the gospel, the good news. Verse 2, for good news, gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard, the people that were wandering in the wilderness, 
The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They heard the gospel, but they didn't believe the gospel. They didn't put faith in God. They did not respond with faith to the message. What about you? You don't need a mountain of faith to come to God. A tiny mustard seed of faith will do, but you must have at least that. Just knowing the content of what the gospel is couldn't save an ant. A person has to respond to it. The good news of this Christian gospel is a call upon you to do something, to respond to it. It's not just, you know, there's the nightly news, off I go to bed. It's this is life and death and you must repent and believe. Have you done that? Do you have faith? If you do, verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, that rest. Believers in Jesus enter into the Sabbath of God, God's rest, communion with and fellowship with God, our Creator and our Savior. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works, his God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. For he has sometimes spoken of the seventh day in this way. And of course, everybody knew exactly. It wasn't that the writer of the Hebrews didn't know where this was. Um, somewhere it says. <laughs> For he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. He's making a direct correlation between creation and the seventh day rest of God in the land. The, the author here is just laboring to spell this all out for you. Salvation is entering into God's current ongoing seventh day Shabbat where he invites you into his rest, into fellowship and unity with him. Look at verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it into that rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Friend, the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, or you will fall like the sons of disobedience in the wilderness. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on, another day of rest. This is, this is great exegesis right here. All the author is doing is validating that God's seventh day Shabbat is still ongoing, that we can still enter into it. How does he do it? He points out that when David wrote Psalm 59, spoke about entering God's rest today, that was hundreds and hundreds of years after the people had entered the land of rest, the promised land under Joshua. So he says, even though uh, there was an entering into one rest, there's another rest, a rest yet to come. The rest in the promised land was only ever pointing forward to something greater, something more significant. What was that? A better land, uh, the ultimate land of rest. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
You know, it's easy to read the Apostle Paul into these two verses and miss the point entirely. Because we read that phrase about resting from our works, and we tend to sort of go to Romans and Galatians and think the Hebrews author is telling the people to stop trying to get into heaven by doing good works. God rested from his works, we should rest from our works. So we shouldn't be doing, you know, good things that we judge good enough to earn salvation, which by the way is great advice. Like, that's true, you shouldn't. That's what Romans and Galatians are for. They, they tell you that's a big, ugly waste of time. You could do a billion good works and go to hell. That's not what the Hebrews text is addressing. This text is talking about the good works we do after God saves us. In part, that's why he compares it to God's works. God's works were not evil. What did Jesus do while he was on the earth? Good works. And what are we called to do while we are on the earth? Well, let's ask Paul, who was so clear in telling us that good works are never going to save us. Paul, what are we supposed to do once we've been saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, uh, and Jesus has done all this work on our behalf? What are we supposed to do, Paul, Apostle Paul? He tells us, Titus 3, verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So those who enter God's rest fill up their lives with God's work. And that starts to expose one of the already but not yet tensions in our Bible. <clears throat> There's a few of them. Uh, you are sanctified, you will be sanctified. You are holy, you will be holy. You are saved, you will be saved. You are in God's seventh day Shabbat. You will be in God's seventh day ongoing rest. The Christian life is entering into God's seventh day Shabbat. That's the already. But the Christian life is also waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of that Shabbat, that not yet. So verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But that rest doesn't come until the moment we leave this life and go to the next. The ultimate Sabbath for the people of God comes on the day we die or the day Christ returns. And that means that until that day, we're busy. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that ultimate fellowship with God in eternity, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Is he saying work really hard to earn God's salvation? Not at all. He's saying until that day comes, we've got work to do. And then, God willing, we will hear these words from Revelation 14. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Praise the Lord. Friend, are you headed for that rest? If not, hurry up and rest. For as long as it is called today, turn to the living God. Today is the day of salvation. God holds the door open for you to enter into his rest, to have eternal fellowship with him. And your enemy, Satan, will throw up every distraction and enticement he can think of on the pathway to that door to salvation. Many are going to see God's rest from afar, but never enter it. And for them, there will be an eternity of no rest 
Ephesians 14.11, or rather Revelation 14.11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. No rest. These worshipers of the beast and its image. So flee from the wrath to come and flee into the arms of Jesus. He will bring you to the Father, and you will enter His rest already and completely in the great day. Now, I am about to begin a Shabbat, a sabbatical. I'm going to cease my work as the senior pastor of Grace Fellowship Church for a season of time. I will not be here. I will not be answering emails. I will turn off my phone. I love you all. Goodbye. (laughs) What is that? It is the cessation of one activity for another. I'm not taking a sabbatical to play tiddlywinks. I don't even know what tiddlywinks is. But the purpose of a sabbatical is to stop one set of works and be devoted to another. In a like manner, I want to suggest that each of us, every single Christian, is always on sabbatical. We have stopped living for ourselves. We have stopped trying to save ourselves. We have entered into that already not yet seventh day Shabbat of God. We're making ourselves busy doing the good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to do. We're doing them in total dependence upon Jesus because He's the one who taught us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're waiting for the fulfillment of that Sabbath when we see Him face to face, when we walk completely in God's rest, where we have lives that are full of of good works until then, and in the meantime, we get these little pointers to remind us about that day that is coming, and we exhort one another. You notice what he says in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, not just on Sundays, not just when you gather, but every day there is a today. Stay after each other. Keep cheering each other on. Keep picking each other up when we fall. Keep praying for one another and with one another. Do this every day, exhorting one another so that all of us get to God's ultimate and final Sabbath, our true and final rest, and we enter into our new work, which is to delight in our triune God forever and ever, world without end. What a day that shall be. Let us pray. So, Lord, give us grace, each one, and in particular those who stand outside of your rest right now. And do a saving work, we pray. Call your people to yourself. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.